As you're turning in your Bible to the book of Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, or as you're um, looking on your uh, tablet, electronic device, finding that. Um, if you're not familiar with, uh, with the Bible, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Um, there's usually a table of contents at the front if you need to know exactly what page. We're going to be on uh, page 873 in my Bible, so if you have the same Bible as me, just go to 873. If you get there and it's not Matthew 6, you're in the wrong Bible. So um, as you're turning, let me share with you a couple of things we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks. We've got, we've got kind of a busy uh, period, vastly approaching uh, right here, and, and it starts next Sunday night. Now, I know we had the movie night last week, and it was a wonderful uh, night. If you didn't, if you weren't here for the case for Christ, if you've never seen the movie, uh, please jump on Redbox. Um, you, know, you, you don't have a blockbuster video to run to anymore. They closed all those down, but jump on Redbox or, or Netflix if you've got one of those. Look it up. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. But next sun, Sunday night at six o'clock, we're going to be ordaining three new deacons right here, and, um, and we're going to have a time of worship for our ordination service. It's going to be structured maybe a little bit different, uh, but it's going to be a time that we gather around Ryan Cunningham, Jared Redding, and Bill Simmerly. Bill's not with us this morning. He is, uh, they're probably getting on the van here in just a little bit to load up and head back from uh, Snowbird on the men's trip. Uh, but Bill, the three of them, we're going to be ordaining them uh, next Sunday night and they're deacon, diaconate, time is deacon, whatever you want to phrase it, however the proper word is, starts on October the 1st. So please make plans, even if you're not, uh, even if uh, you've got other things to do. Uh, if you're a Falcons fan, they play tonight, not next Sunday night. So you can be here uh, in plenty of time at six o'clock for that. Also, we have several things coming up in October. We have homecoming on October the 8th. That's the second Sunday. And we're going to be right here. And just to sweeten the deal for you all, we're going to eat afterwards. So uh, Miss Jane Brooks is putting together a wonderful program. She and the homecoming team for our, uh, for our time of homecoming this year. Uh, so that's going to come up on October the 7th. And then on October the 31st, um, we're going to celebrate 500 years since Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses in the Reformation. Now, y'all are more worried about Halloween. We're going to have our trunk or treat uh, right here. Uh, we're going to do up on their upper lot we did last year. We're getting everything together. If we could ask you to go ahead and start bringing like bags of candy. Uh, you can go to Walmart and they've got boxes and boxes of bags of candy. So if you don't mind bringing some of those that we would have for our trunk or treat, our decorators, we would love to have 50 trunks. And if you want more information about it, if you've seen it, uh, please just contact us, let us know, and we'll, we'll help you kind of figure out what you can do for your trunk. So Matthew chapter six, we're going to start in verse one. And if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me as we reverence the reading of the word of God together, starting a new section of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Jesus says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have a time together that we seek your face. 
Lord, you've given us your word of, of, of all the systems of belief out there. We are the only one that has a direct word from God, the one who created us. And we are the only faith that has the very son of God who died for us. So as we look at your word, I ask you, God, to impart your understanding, your wisdom, your knowledge on our hearts through the power of your spirit, Lord. I pray that the words that come from my mouth are, are, are the words that come from your word and not my own, so that we would be walking in faithfulness to who you've called us to be under the authority of Christ. Lord, be with us in this time. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, some of you may be a little bit like me in that you are affected by advertising. A good advertising scheme and a good advertising ploy usually gets me pretty well. A few years ago, about 11 years ago, uh, Dial uh, had, a, had a men's body wash line that was Dial for Men. Well, their slogan was maintenance for your man suit. Now, I don't know what kind of soap I was using, but I went to Walmart that day because the, the commercial was so awesome that I wanted some maintenance for my man suit. It was incredible and it didn't smell any different than what I was already using, but it was cool. I mean, and I love the Old Spice commercials with like the, 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 the guy that's always on a horse sitting prim and proper and everything. Like he's, he's like the, the, the epitome of manliness. When was the last time you saw a commercial or an advertisement for RC Cola? What? Most people don't know what RC Cola is because you never hear about them. Now you can go to the grocery store and probably find them, but most of us would probably have to pull a calendar out and start flipping back through the years to when the last time was that we had an RC Cola, right? You don't hear about things and you don't think about things because the advertising's not out there and you don't purchase those things. See, RC Cola could take a, a, a line out of or a page out of the book of the Pepsi Cola Company. I know we're in Atlanta. This is Coke country down here. We don't talk about that Yankee Pepsi or anything. No, I, I'm a Pepsi guy, just to let you know. Sorry, go ahead. The booze are gonna start coming in. But, but 25 years ago, the Pepsi Cola Corporation had this wonderfully awful idea. They released a product that they called Crystal Pepsi. Now, the idea behind Crystal Pepsi was that it was going to be Pepsi without all of the brown coloring that they usually put in there. Apparently, some people at that time thought that the acids that made the Pepsi brown were kind of bad for your system. What they weren't looking at was everything else that was in it. And so they released this product called Crystal Clear Pepsi. And it failed. It failed miserably because it was gross. It was disgusting. It tasted like Alka-Seltzer. Well, in February of 2016, the internet kind of started getting wind that there might be a re-release of Crystal Pepsi. Sure enough, the Pepsi-Cola company decided to take a different marketing technique. And they let a little information out there on, on social media and on the internet that there would be a return of Crystal Pepsi. And so the clamor was raising and raising and raising. And then you get into late July, early August of 2016 and you start seeing advertisement and commercials, a throwback to the Crystal Clear Pepsi until they finally in October of last year released this product. And for two weeks, the Pepsi Cola company marketed more sales of Crystal Clear Pepsi than all of their products combined going back five years 
And you know what? It was still gross. It, it was still gross. But Pepsi could not keep it on the shelves. Stores were selling out because of the marketing, because it was built up as this product, because they put the information about, look what we're doing, look what we're doing, look what we're doing. And that, that's the society where we live. It starts at an early age. We start telling our kids and fourth, fifth, sixth grade that about their grades, but also you need to be a part of this program or join this club or do this so you can add it to your college application because colleges really, 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 really care that if you're gonna be an engineering major that you uh, went to trash pickup day that one Saturday at high school. But we load up and then, and then it doesn't get any better from there because we start doing what? We start building resumes. Now, now, resumes are really usually not worth more than the sheet of paper that they're printed on because you can make anything look like anything on a resume. Man, you get some that's a good wordsmith. I went to the resume office in college and, and I had what I thought was a decent resume for like the two jobs I'd had in my life. And, um, and, and so they're like, oh, you need to use action words. Instead of saying, I did this, I did this, say, I enacted this. I conceptualized this. I mean, you say, you say how it sounds great, right? We, we, we have all of this pageantry and self-adulation that the world pulls into us to build ourselves, to build ourselves, to build ourselves. And now we carry it around with us everywhere we go. Social media. If there's not a, a, an epitome of pageantry and self-adulation out there, it's social media. The whole, pro, the whole basis behind social media is not to really be friends with people, but to draw attention to get as many likes and follows and clicks and this and this and this and this and this and this, and this as we can. Now, all of this has its place and all of this has its opportunity to engage, but Jesus brings us into this pageantry and self-adulation as it pertains to how we worship God. Now, thus far in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been looking at the Beatitudes, the, the stereotype of, uh, or, or the prototype of who we are in Christ and how he's made us. We've been called to be salt and light. And then he drops the big bomb on us of having a righteousness that is deeper than the scribes and the Pharisees, one that surpasses them. And so we finished out chapter five over six sermons looking at how that relates to the law of God, our ethical conduct. But would you believe that Jesus now has the audacity in these next 18 verses of chapter six to start meddling in our religious practice? Would you believe that Jesus himself, the very son of God and calling us to a deeper righteousness is now gonna start placing his finger on how we worship God? together if you didn't believe it believe it now and Jesus is going to take us as we look at as we look at giving to the poor as we look at prayer and as we look at fasting as disciplines of who we are but for the purpose of demonstrating this righteousness and so what we're going to do today as we look at this passage of scripture you'll see on your outline and your worship guide what we're going to do is we're going to break it out into two different sections we're going to make some observations uh, five observations of this passage of scripture and then we're going to come back and we're going to apply them to our lives to who we are because uh, as i've shared with you many times we've got to look and see what the word of god means and then why we need to know it and how it affects us tomorrow when we go out to see friends go to work go to school wherever it is that we're 
going. And so Jesus says in this passage of scripture, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. The first thing that we observe in this passage of scripture is that righteousness is both received and practiced. Righteousness is both received and it is practiced. Now let's break that down just a little bit. And we're gonna hit the pause button on the passage of scripture and talk about that whole received. If we are to have a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, it is not a righteousness that we can drum up. We can't scrape the bottom of the barrel and do enough good and do enough good and do enough to have the righteousness that's required. God gives us the righteousness that is necessary when we trust in Christ. So we stop and ask ourselves, first and foremost, have I received that righteousness? Folks, let me ask you real quick, if you've never trusted Christ Jesus, there, there, there is a, a, a major step before you because you do not understand what we're talking about in giving and prayer and fasting and worship outside of Christ. Jesus says in the book of John that the Lord God is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. And that only comes as we relate to God through Christ Jesus. If you have never trusted Christ, you can come to church you can put your money in the offering plate. You can even go to Sunday school. You can even help little old ladies cross the street. You can either take your neighbor's trash can back to his house for him after the trash pickup guy comes on Tuesday morning. But it's not the righteousness required for entrance into the kingdom of God. You only receive that when you say, you know what, I've been living life my way. My way has been an utter rejection of the holiness of God because it's been about me, what I can do, what I can control, how I am perceived and how I, you see the, the, the common there, the I? Jesus says, anyone that wants to come after me must deny himself, get rid of the I and run to the cross of Christ. You in your sin will end up without the righteousness and are already without the righteousness required and therefore will not have entrance to the kingdom of God. So let me ask you now, as we process through this, to consider, why have I not trusted Christ? If that's you this morning, if you can't say with certainty, yes, I've trusted Christ. I know I'm a sinner. I know I am lost. I know that I am outside of the kingdom of God. Why have I not accepted his free offer to save me and receive the righteousness but when Jesus gives us this righteousness, so this is back over here to everybody. I'm not swapping sides to say y'all are without and y'all are with. I'm just, you know, moving for effect. So, so for all of us that are on the other side of that question, that yes, I have trusted Christ. He has given me his righteousness. The question we ask is, what am I doing with it? Because Jesus says that we, our righteousness is not just received from him, but it's given to be practice. He says there, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, no, he just said, don't practice your righteousness. Look at what Jesus says. Don't practice it in front of others to be seen by them. 
The expectation is that in Christ Jesus, we will live a life that is wholly different than those around us, that we will practice and demonstrate who he is by how we live. Some of you have gifts at your house that somebody gave you that you will never use. Some of you have gifts that somebody, man, maybe somebody gave it to you when you got married 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. We call it fine china. And it sits in a cabinet to never be used. You look at it and it looks nice. And maybe you've got this nice hutch over your china cabinet where you can display it. And it's like, oh, no, those aren't the plates that we use. That's a useless gift, right? It looks nice. And you say, well, we're going to have people over and we're going to use those. But somebody gave you that plate, not for it to look pretty, but for you to, you have a plate so you can eat off of it, right? That's the reason we have plates. Other countries don't have plates. They pull leaves and other things and they put their food on there because it's a utility. It's something that we use. Now, what good would it be for someone to give you a present that you would never, ever use? Somebody came to me and just said, you know what, Evan? I like you. I know this is fake. So um, I like you. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a 2017 Corvette Stingray. Convertible. We got a personnel team meeting tomorrow night. So, um, so they say, we're going to give you this Corvette Stingray. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is going to be so good. Yeah, Corvette Stingray. I've got just the perfect place in the garage to park it and never drive it. And in 20 years, it's gonna have 100 miles on it and the oil's gonna have corroded and the gas is gonna have eaten through something. It's just gonna be right there, prim and proper. And somebody's gonna say, Evan, I gave you that car to drive around. And then I'm gonna give them all the 90 reasons why I haven't used the gift that they've given me. Oh, it's too nice. I, I can't use it in these streets. You know, I drive too fast. I don't wanna wreck. I don't wanna hurt this. Somebody might feel bad because they don't have a car that's nice. And we start giving all the reasons why we're not using the gift, right? They say, we'll take the gift back. See, that's what a lot of us end up with the righteousness of Christ. He's given it to us so that we would have access and entrance into the kingdom of God, but we've done nothing with it. And we wonder why people around us don't know how great God is because they've not seen the greatness of God and his righteousness in us. We are given righteousness, but we are expected to practice righteousness. Second thing we see in this passage of scripture is that rewards are real. They're real. Notice with me what he says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your father who's in heaven. Now, now if Jesus is bringing reward into the conversation, we've got to talk about it. We've got to address it. We've got to wrestle with it. But the problem that we run into is there's a lot of misinformation out there about these rewards. Jesus doesn't describe the reward. Jesus doesn't tell us that, okay, you practice your righteousness the right way, God's gonna reward you with this. Now, maybe you remember being in elementary school and your teacher would have this nice little flow chart over here on the wall that had all the rules and then she would give you rewards and consequences. And the consequences, like you get your name on the board, you get a check by your name, you get sent to the principal's office, uh, you get your parents called, you get ISS, you get off-campus uh, suspension, or whatever, you've got all the consequences, right? I was on a first name basis with my principal in elementary school. I don't know about you guys. But, but then in the rewards, it was, 
if you, if you get to this, then on Friday, we'll have a class movie. When we have a class movie, maybe you get to buy ice cream from the little ice cream thing. There was always a reward. Maybe you get to bring a special thing for show and tell. Maybe you get to sit where you want to tomorrow. Maybe you get to, to, to sit in the teacher's chair or use, uh, use color pencils instead of regular pencils. There's always a reward. And the teacher didn't put that chart up there to say, follow the rules and here's the reward. And then when you follow the rules, you get no reward. Because oh, I was just kidding. I just wanted you to follow the rules. That's not what the teacher does. So, so God doesn't do that. He doesn't list out there, okay, if you make sure that you have 100% attendance at Sunday school this next year, then you're gonna get your own special whatever. If you tithe, I'll make sure that I, you, you get all of that money back and then some to, here's your reward for righteousness. You come to faith in Christ Jesus and all your problems are gonna go away. That's not the reward. The truth is, we don't really know what the reward is in this life. But we have the reward of the faithful righteousness of God that when we pass from here to that next life, it might not be that we see our reward here, but we get the reward of heaven. We get the treasure of everything God has to offer in the fullness of who he is. And Jesus says, if you're just putting on the show, if you're merely just out there doing your righteous, your good deeds for everybody else to see, then you've gotten your reward. You've gotten your pat on the back. You've gotten your applause. That's a real reward, right? Everybody wants an attaboy now and then, right? Everybody wants a good pat on the back and assurance. Hey, and you did a good job on that. Everybody wants the little sticker at the top of their test paper that says A plus and here's your little sticker star. I even wanted those in college. I had one professor that gave them. And that's one of those things where we look at it and say, man, we want that. But is the basis of what we're doing for the reward. And then he goes on, and the third observation we make is that giving to the poor is different than tithing. See, the context of what Jesus is describing here is not just the, the, the commanded tithe, the 10%. He says here in this passage of scripture, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. See, he pulls it in here to a specific type of religious practice that's called almsgiving. This is one of, the, one of the main facets of the Hebrew faith. Over the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 15, verse 11, it talks about how those who have must support those who do not have. Not because of, not because of their, their refusal to, to, to work and to have, but because they don't earn the same wage, because they have not been blessed in the same way. This, this was supporting those uh, field owners were commanded to leave the corners of their fields unharvested so that orphans and widows could come and glean. That was the way that they supported. But in the temple, they were to bring a special offering. They were to bring part of what they have for a, an offering for the poor called the alms giving. This was a, an expected practice. Look at what he says. Whenever you do this, now we've got to pull back into the English, 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 English language a little bit. Jesus doesn't say, you know, if, if it just happens one Sabbath that you're on your way to the temple and you decide, you know, I got a couple extra shekels. I, I think I could probably take those. He says, whenever you do this. The expectation is that above and beyond the regular tithe and offering that God's people, the followers of Christ, would give to support those who are in need. It's different. 
Do you realize that our church has a wonderful ministry to do this already? We've got a food pantry right over here in this other building that a couple of days a week, people from our community can come and receive assistance from our church. If, if, if you would like to know more information about it, man, see Miss Jenny Cunningham. She would sign you up in a heartbeat to help her when they get orders in, when, uh, when there's, there's people that are gonna be coming on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We've got men and women of our, in our church that every single Tuesday and every single Thursday, they are here in order to help. That's an offering of time to support the poor. But we also have greater opportunities as a church when needs arise to help one another. But here, here's an issue we have. We're a little bit behind financially. Just plain and simple, we're a little bit behind financially. You've been seeing in the weekly emails and everything some, some information about Bring Your Best Sunday on October the 1st. And that's gonna come up as a time that we, above and beyond our regular tithe and offering, give so that the church ministries can go forward. Because if we get to the point where we say, wow, we really can't help there, we really can't, then, then we're failing at our mission. And right now, because we're financially behind, that those are decisions that we have to make and we have to cut. So the challenge is that we go forward so we don't have to make those hard decisions, so we don't have to cut out. So we're asking the church to come together and regularly uh, give their tithe and offering on Sunday, but on this special day, above and beyond the absolute best gift that God would lay on your heart to give so that we can make sure that our mission, our hope, our vision for reaching people with their physical needs and their ultimate spiritual needs are met. We have a huge and monumental task ahead of us that we must jump in with both feet to see it happen. And Jesus goes on this passage of scripture and says, um, so when you do this, when you give to the poor, don't go and sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the, street, uh, in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. See, the fourth observation we make here is that some people only appear to be religious. They only appear to be religious. Jesus is taking a little bit of a direct shot here at the scribes and the Pharisees, but they're not the only ones who only appeared to be religious. See, the concept here, and the, the, the topic that Jesus is broaching is, is this whole idea of those that make sure everybody knows exactly what they give and how they give it and that they are giving. He, he addresses this over in Luke chapter 21. Maybe you'll remember in Luke chapter 21, Jesus is sitting there at the, the front of the temple and he's talking with his disciples and, and there's this widow lady that comes forward and she puts the only two coins that she has to her name in, in the collection bin. Now, this is the alms giving. See, th this was where it was taken on the entrance into the temple. It was the giving of the alms to support the poor. And she came and she dropped her two, basic, when I was in, in, a kid, we learned it as basically dropping her two pennies in. And it just kind of makes a little clink, clink noise. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you see this woman over here? She has given far more than anybody else that's come through here. And they're like, what are you talking about? I mean, she just dropped a couple of pennies. I mean, you can't even go to McDonald's and buy a French fry with that. And, and he says, because she gave everything she had. 
But these people, they gave out of their wealth. So the image that Jesus is drawing here is these men that come up and they've got their big old money bags. See, see, they didn't have paper currency like we do in this day. So, so it's a little bit harder. We've got online giving and all this, but let's just imagine that, uh, that, you're gonna, that you're gonna bring your offering to the church for just a minute. We're gonna put it kind of in the context. And instead of writing a check or instead of dropping bills in, you go to the bank on Friday before they close and say, you know what? I'm gonna give $1,000 to the church. I want it in quarters. Okay, so the, 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 the lady looks at you like you're a nut job and says, I don't wanna be a part of that church if you're gonna pay in quarters, but okay. So she gives you this, these rolls of quarters and you say, no, 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 I don't want them rolled up. I want them bag. I want them just in a big old bag. So you've got Santa's bag over your shoulder here and you're bringing it up here and you're just like, hey, check out the money I'm bringing. Hey, everybody, hey, cue up the praise band because I'm about to draw my offering in the plate. That's what Jesus is describing. And I know nobody here is going to go to the bank and get that many quarters and bring them up here and shake the bag around and everything. But there are opportunities where we give and we do something to make sure that people know that we did that, that we gave that, that we were a part of that. And, and, and it's natural because we want the attention, but Jesus says, you're only appearing to practice religion. See, see, using the word religious is so hard right there because it's not religious like I am a follower of Christ and this is my religion. It is religious in that I am relying on practice to get me in, but that's not what Jesus is after. He's not after the practice. He's after the righteous heart of those who follow him. And he pulls it into this one wonderful phrase right there in your text of scripture. Look in the middle of that verse. He says, don't do this the way that the hypocrites do now nobody likes a hypocrite right no nobody nobody likes hypocrites we man, we, we we point hypocrites out and we want to ah, that's a hypocrite that's it the, the word hypocrite means play actor play actor somebody that's in costume that is pretending to be someone on stage for a performance now my favorite one of my favorite actors of all time is jim carrey I, I love Jim Carrey because he, he's, he's goofy, um, but he can take a good role. And there are so many roles that he plays that you forget that it's Jim Carrey and you get absorbed into the role. For example, How the Grinch Stole Christmas in 2000. The live remake of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Anybody could have played that role, but Jim Carrey took it and he was the Grinch. Now, it would be foolish for me to be out here and say Jim Carrey was down here at Pinewood Studios in Fayetteville and he was, he was shooting a movie over here. And I was like, man, Jim Carrey's in town. I'm gonna go find Jim Carrey. And it'd be foolish for me to happen upon him in a Starbucks and start talking to him in Seuss Rhyme. It would be foolish for me to start asking, were you really scared when you saved Cindy Lou Who out of the mail sorter? How did you take that guy's whiskey and breathe fire and burn down the whole thing without singeing your hair? How did you do that? Because he's an actor. He's not the Grinch. He is a man that goes about a job and for that hour and a half takes on the role on the screen of being the Grinch, but he's not the Grinch. That is the image that Jesus draws for us when we go about our religious practice for the applause of man. We're no better than an actor on a screen who is pretending to be someone else. It's a hypocrite. Some, some people only appear to be religious. Now you see them a lot. They talk about all the great things they've ever done in the church 
and how the church would not survive without them. But you start pressing them on matters of holiness and righteousness and they always point back to what they did, not who he is. And the fifth thing we see in this passage of scripture says that this form of giving is between me and God. This is what separates giving to the poor from, from tithing. Tithing is a personal responsibility under the authority and the accountability of the church. Now, I know some churches that go a little bit too far with it. When you join at that church, you put out uh, what your W-2 information was from last year. And if you don't tithe that amount, they're calling you. Hey, you're not tithing. You're living in sin. That's a little greedy on the church's end. But we enter into a covenant of membership when we come and join uh, First Baptist Church of Fairburn, Georgia to say, you know what? Um, as a member, I am going to give faithfully to the ministry of the church in my tithe and offering as obedient, being obedient to Christ. And we, in becoming a member, uh, hold one another accountable to that. Now, that doesn't mean that our counting team tomorrow morning is going to get together. You know, we hadn't seen a check from so-and-so this week. We're not going to make sure we call them and see where it's at. That, that's not the accountability that we offer. But this kind of giving, Jesus says this, when you give to the poor, there again, he says, when you do this, verse 4, verse 3, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be where? In secret. And who's going to see it if it's done in secret? People on the streets, or he says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. See, we live in such a self-adulating, look-at-me, pageantry-based society that we really don't want to do anything without getting recognition for it. We, we just don't. It's human nature. It's human nature. And Jesus says, when we're giving to the poor, when we're supporting those in need, it's not about what the community around us sees and what they think about it. It's what God sees. And God sees the heart. And God sees what's going on and why we give. He says, so, so separate it out from what you're giving in general to the church and your obedience and tithing. And as you give, let God direct your heart. Let God direct your heart. He's not commanding us to make sure every time we see somebody that's in need to shell it out and shell it out and shell it out. I mean, we're going to go bankrupt. You've got to exercise responsibility, but we've got to be obedient to God. So what do we do with this? How does this apply to my life 2016? Because we don't have the big collection bin right over here by the piano that all the things, all the money that goes in there comes in and is assisting the poor. How do we do this? What does this even mean for me? Well, we're looking at how the righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, according to Christ Jesus, impacts our lives. And so we look at first and ask the question, who is my audience? Who, who's my audience? See, Jesus lays a couple of scenarios out there for us. He says, you, you have the option to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them or to practice it in secret in order to be seen by God. And, and this is such a hard line for us to walk in the church because just a few verses earlier in chapter five, Jesus says in verse 16, 
Let your light shine before others so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So, so am I supposed to do it in front of others or am I supposed to not do it in front of others? Should others know that this took place or should, should they have no idea that it ever took place? What's the delicate balance? It comes down to who's your audience. If someone sees you serving the Lord with gladness because you want to be seen, then your audience is them and you. But if you do it so that they'll say, man, look how they are serving. Look how they were giving because of how awesome and mighty and majestic and powerful God is. That's why Jesus says, let your light shine before men. Not let yourself let your light, the light that we receive, which is the righteousness of Christ. This is a question that I have to ask myself all the time. This isn't just a, y'all need to listen to this. This is every, every week when I go into sermon preparation mode and, and, and try to, to, to draw out of a text of scripture, I have to filter this through my own heart and through my own mind. I have to ask myself the question, what, what am I trying to achieve in this? I always want my next sermon to be my best sermon, but for what purpose? So that on the way out the door, when you shake my hand, you say, man, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. Preacher, that was, that was your best one yet. Is it for that or is it because of who God is in me and what the word of God imparts to us all? Who's my audience? When I'm drawing application, when I'm explaining things, who am I audience? Who am I seeking to please? You guys are God. Hopefully you guys are pleased because of God his word the second question that comes up in this is what what drives me what drives me see he says here in this passage of scripture whenever you give don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people truly I tell you they have their reward see their, their, their reward is given there and their, their, their drive is the reward excuse me the reward what, what, drive, what drives us? Is it the applause that we'll get? The recognition, the accolades? I'm glad we don't have name plaques at the end of all the pews down here. Is it so we can get our name stuck on a pew somewhere? Like, that one's my pew. Is that why we do what we do? What, what drives us? What, what, is the, what is the primary motivation for how we engage? See, we can get to this motivating, this drive and, and everything, just looking at everything else in our life. See, we will ultimately become servants of what drives us the most. If we live in a fear of man where other people's opinions matter more than anything, we will do whatever it takes to be applauded, to be approved, to have that validation from others. That's what we do. But if we live in the fear of the Lord, not this trembling fear that God's gonna smack you with a hammer over the head next time you mess up, but this awe of all that God is and who God has called us to be and the understanding of the righteousness of Christ that's been imparted to me. Now we start looking at that being the driving motivation and it's not about what everybody else thinks, but it's about living holy before God and who God has called us to be and that becomes what drives us. That becomes where, where we become servants. We become servants of the King of Kings. What drives you? And then the last thing we ask is, do I secretly crave the spotlight? 
This is a word of warning for all of us. Because we have this flesh and bone problem. We're related to our great, 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 grandpappy Adam. Who didn't actually follow the word of God. Who wanted something, desired something physically more than he desired the presence of God. And we're all related to him. We all have inherited sin because of him. We were born in sin. Uh, the, book, the book of Psalms says, in, in iniquity were we conceived. So we had no choice but to sin because of our great, 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 however many grandpappy Adam. And we have this issue that wants the attention to come back to us. And the reason is because that's what Satan's goal has been since the beginning. Maybe you remember Jesus telling his disciples and his followers, I remember I was there when Lucifer, when Satan was cast down out of heaven. Lucifer was, 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 the, was the choir director of heaven. His currency was worship. His responsibility as an angel was to pass the praise of the heavenly host up to God, up to his throne. But he got a little greedy and said, wouldn't it be nice for some of this attention to fall on me? Wouldn't it be nice for me to receive a little bit of this worship and adoration that God's receiving? So he clutched onto it and he held on to just a little bit of that. And God fury raged. The Bible says that he was cast out of heaven to this current world. And his plan ever since was to take you and distract you from the holiness of God so that God would not receive the worship, but say, hey, don't I deserve a little bit? Can I have just a little bit of this? Can't I just receive? Yeah, I crave the spotlight. But if you're in Christ Jesus, you don't have to worry about your great, great grandpappy Adam. You have a new man, Christ Jesus, who said, you know what? I've already got the glory of God, but I'm going to give it up to be obedient to my father. And I'm going to die on the cross and shed my blood that men and women all over the world of all backgrounds, of all races, of all tongues, of all ethnicities can come to faith in Christ to the praise of God the Father. You don't have to crave the spotlight. Shine it to him the light of glory.